Bible reading for, for this morning is Micah 6 verses 1 to 8. And here we have the Lord, as it were, taking Israel to court. So it's like a courtroom setting. And uh, the Lord, uh, first of all, accuses Israel uh, in the first five verses. And then in verses 6 and 7, we have Israel's reply. And then in verse 8, we have the prophet's reply to Israel. So Micah 6, beginning at verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving act of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. It'd be really good if you keep your Bible open at the book of Micah. Uh, we're in the, in the middle of a really short series that we're um, doing at the moment, um, leading up to Freedom Sunday next Sunday. Uh, last week we had Dave on and Dave helped us uh, unpack from Luke chapter 10, our response to need, to slavery uh, around the world in particular. Uh, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking a little bit more at the broader topic of justice and how we approach that as followers of Jesus. Um, hopefully you've got a sermon outline that got sent out with the e-news this week. Uh, there are also some kids sheets or some fuller outlines uh, for those who want them. There's some discussion questions at the bottom of the sermon outline for you to use with your family, use with your growth group uh, this coming week as well. Now, no doubt our year uh, and the news of the year has been dominated by uh, coronavirus. Um, it's the lead story just about every time we turn on our TVs or we listen to the radio or we get online. It's almost hard to escape it. Uh, but in between coronavirus stories, uh, there have been a couple of other big issues that have come up this year, two in particular. Firstly, there's been a whole range of articles, news stories and documentaries about Harvey Weinstein and the fallout from his actions. We've seen a reboot this year then of the Me Too movement, a movement which seeks to call out the abuse of men, the misuse of power, uh, particularly over women. And of course, we're, not only that, we've had the worldwide response to the killing of George Floyd. 
Uh, we've had protests and marches. Uh, we've had a reboot of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I find that these are tricky issues to navigate. I don't know quite how to feel, how to respond, uh, how to react. And particularly, I, I struggle to know how these things intermesh with my faith in Jesus Christ. So the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a look at this broader category, this, this broader issue of justice, and particularly social justice. And we want to be thinking about how we approach these issues from a biblical perspective. Because we believe that the Bible is not just about our salvation. It's not just about our eternal life. It's about here and now. And we believe that our actions should flow from the God who has saved us, from the very character of God, and they should be shaped by the gospel. So what we're going to do is today, we're going to spend a bit of time in this book of Micah. Now, one of the reasons we're going to do that is because Micah contains one of the most uh, clear and powerful statements about justice that the Bible has. Uh, one of the most famous statements, and Steve read it at the end of Micah 6 uh, in that passage, verse 8, where God calls us to do justice, uh, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. But I, I don't want to just look at this statement, because Micah's message about justice is much broader than this. And it puts the message of justice in the context of human sin and rebellion, and God's saving work is restoring work through Christ. And so by looking at this book, we get this really helpful picture of where our concern for justice comes from, why we are to act justly and to love kindness. But more than that, it starts to show us how we are to do it. Now, next week, the rubber's going to hit the road a little bit more. And the plan is to apply what we learn today to a, a few areas of justice or social justice that we find ourselves confronted with in our world, in our society, particularly through our media. Now, in an ideal world, uh, Dave's sermon from last week would then come the week after that as another uh, specific example of, of interacting with issues of justice. But Dave wasn't available on Freedom Sunday for, uh, for obvious reasons. And so we had to make the most of them when we could get them. All right, well, let's start today then by diving into Micah. And we're going to take a pretty broad brushstroke crash course in his property, prophecy. Now, Micah is an 8th century before Christ prophet. And he's speaking at a time when Israel has split in half. You have the northern kingdom uh, of Israel in the north. Uh, whose capital is Samaria, and then you have Judah in the south, and the capital of that is Jerusalem. Now, Micah's message, Micah's word, or God's word through Micah, is actually to both of them. And it is a message of strong judgment from God. As Steve mentioned, as he started reading from chapter 6, much of it is written like a legal case of, from God against his people. Flick with me to chapter 1, uh, having a look at verse 2 there. Look what it says. 
It says, here, you people, all of you, pay attention to earth and all that is in there, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and will tread upon the high places on the earth. Micah's message is clear. God is coming and he's about to bring judgment on his people. Now, the question we want to ask is then why is God bringing this, this judgment on his people, on the people that he loves and the people that he has rescued? Well, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all messages of judgment. And interspersed in these chapters are reasons why it is coming. And there's two of them, really. The first one is there in chapter 1, where the focus is on the people's relationship with God, with the God who loved them and the God who rescued them. And you notice there that in verse 3, it talked about high places. And again, it will talk about high places in verse 5. And in verse 7, it will talk about carved imagery and idols. You see, the issue here is not that they have completely walked away from the Lord their God. The issue is that they have added in other gods and false worship into their worship of the living God. And for this, God's judgment is coming. Now, in chapters 2 and 3, there is then a second reason why judgment is coming. And that has to do with their treatment of other people. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and look what it says there. It says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They oppress a man and his house and his house, a man and his inheritance. You, you notice that, that what's going on here? They spend the night awake dreaming of what they can seize, they can grab from another person. And because the power is in their hands, when they get up in the morning, that's what they go for. Jump down to verses 8 and 9 there. It says here, But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich road from, the road from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Who, who, who's being taken advantage of? Well, it's the passerby. It's the women and it's the children. Now in chapter 3, the theme continues, but now in chapter 3, the highlight is on how this starts with the rules, with the leaders. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, if you want to have a look there. Uh, let me read it. It says, Hear you heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You should know better, he says. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from them. Jump down to verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. 
who builds Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give government for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Now, last week when Dave preached from Luke chapter 10, we, we saw the question that was asked of Jesus at the start there. What is the most important commandment? And Jesus said there were two. So the first one, he said, was to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. This wasn't new to Jesus. This is, this is from the Old Testament. How's Michael, Micah marked them? Well, it's a fail. They have not loved the Lord their God with all their heart and mind. They've loved other gods as well. Jesus said, well, then the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How's Micah marked them on this one? Well, it's an absolute fail. You know, I think there's a reason why these two commandments are put together and they're put together in this order. And there's a reason why Micah 1 comes before Micah 2 and 3. Because Micah 2 and 3 flows out of Micah 1. You abandon God and his ways. You stop worshipping the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And you will stop loving your neighbour. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two words uh, which are often translated as just or justice or, or righteous in some cases. The first one of them is the, word, the Hebrew word mishpat, and it's used more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And its basic meaning is to treat people with equity. Now, there's a, there's a legal component to that. Uh, legally, it's acquitting and punishing every person or every case on its merits. It, it's giving the right ruling, despite religion, race, gender, social standing. But it also has a broader community meaning. It means everybody giving everyone their rights, giving people what they are due, their punishment or protection or care. The second word that, that's often translated as just or justice in our Bible is the word sadika. And it really means righteous. It, it, it's being in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. It means having everyday dealings with people that are right and fair and generous and with equality. And if everybody was sadika, if everybody was righteous, there would actually be no need for mishpat, for, for justice. Now, those two words, they, they go together about three dozen times in the Old Testament. They, they kind of belong together. And together, they form the closest thing to what we would call social justice. It's social justice that is being right with God and then flows into right relationships with other people. And in Micah's time and in Micah's prophecy, God's people have failed at both. Now, let me just draw a couple of, I'll make a couple of observations here that I, that I think are important. Uh, the first one is this. 
issues of justice or injustice are at their heart issues that come from a broken relationship with God. They are a result of our fall into sin, of our deliberate denial of God and his goodness and his kingship. And this naturally then flows into our treatment of others. Now, I'm, I'm probably saying what's really obvious here, but I, but I think this is important. Because it means that when Christians, when, when people who love the Lord Jesus and who read the Bible and believe the Bible, when we approach issues of social justice, we will find that we have areas of commonality with other people, with the culture and the community around about us. We, we will, with others, want to end slavery. And we want to see the end of racism. And we want to see women and children treated with respect and dignity. But we will have some big differences. We will see a very different root cause to the issues. And we'll realize that it's not just about people out there. It's actually also about each and every one of us. And flowing on from that, it's going to mean that our approach to seeking justice, to putting right what is wrong, is going to have a very different dimension. And we'll kind of come to that in a moment. Secondly, I, I just want to highlight here that issues of injustice, especially as we follow Micah 2 and 3 and we put them together, they involve both systemic evil and individual evil. We, we see that in Micah 2 and 3, don't we? Both things are happening. Individuals are using their power to put themselves above and over others, to, to treat people in a way that they benefit out of it. And at the same time, those who are in power are not giving equitable treatment to those under their care. For injustice to flourish and thrive, both exist. And for justice to reign, both need to be addressed. For example, how is it that the abuse of children can continue in, for many years in organisations and sometimes across generations? Well, the Royal Commission has made it really clear. It takes individuals who use their power for personal gain at the expense of others, and it takes governance that does not step in to protect those that it's called to protect. How does racism continue in societies that agree that racism is wrong? Well, it takes people to be racist, to act in a race, racial uh, way that is not racially equal. But it also takes systems that turn a blind eye to it. How does slavery continue in a world where nearly everybody would agree that slavery is wrong? Well, it takes individuals who engage in slave actions and it takes systems that are willing to take a, turn a blind eye to it and deny justice to those who are under their care. Now, the simplistic reading of Micah would say this. Okay, well, that's the problem. That, that's the cause of injustice. 
So the answer is then Micah 6, verse 8. Do justice, love kindness or, or, or mercy, and walk humbly with our God. That's what God requires of us. Now, sadly, this is sometimes what even the Christian social justice movement has done. The problem is there, if we all act justly, we love kindness and we walk with God, then we can put this right. But it misses something. There is something more to this prophecy of Micah than that. There is lots of judgment, but interspersed in that judgment, there are glimpses, there are pictures of hope. And it's not hope that starts with Micah 6. It's hope that starts with God. Now, in a sense, there's three main passages of hope uh, throughout Micah, particularly in the first five chapters. And all, each of them, they build on each other until we kind of get this, this, this wonderful idea of what God is doing. Let's start with the first one, which is in chapter 2. Uh, the last couple of verses, chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, where God is, is, is told them that they're going to be conquered, they're going to go off into exiles. But look what he says. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of them. He who opens the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. The king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So in the midst of this judgment, what's God saying? Well, there, from there, where you are, where you are taken away, I will gather you like a flock. I'll be like a shepherd to you. And when I've gathered you together, I will break a hole through the wall and I will lead you out, your king at your head. God's promising to be a shepherd and a king and to bring them back. Let's jump to the next uh, page. Well, it's the next page of my Bible, uh, Micah chapter 4, where we get the second picture. This time, the, the, the image is of a mountain. It's, it's called the mountain of the house of the Lord. And God says in verse 1 there that that mountain, and he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the temple mountain, Zion, where, where God reigns and rules from earth. And he says that that mountain will be raised higher than all the other mountains. It's this image that God's reign and rule will be established across all of the earth. And look at what it says there at the end of verse 1. It says, peoples will flow to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us of his ways, and then we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And verses 3 and 4 have these wonderful images of God bringing a reign of peace on earth. Nations no longer at war. Swords turned into plowshares. People living under their own fig tree or their, their own vine tree living in peace. What's God going to do? Well, he's not just going to bring his people back but he's going to establish his reign and his rule on earth. And his word, the word of, of what he has done, is going to go out into the world and people are going to come to him so that they can live in his ways, they can walk in his ways. And the result of that 
will be peace for his world, peace for those who belong to him. All right, last part of that picture comes in chapter 5. And if Micah 6 verse 8 is one of the most famous verses of, of the book of Micah, then maybe Micah 5 is the most famous. Pick it up at verse 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Jump down to verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. How is God going to accomplish this, this bringing out of his people, breaking through the walls, and establishing this mountain from out from where the word will go and people will come in and peace will reign? Well, it's going to be through his shepherd king. One who will be born in Bethlehem. A baby, but yet from of old. It will happen through his son and our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself come as an infant. Born in Bethlehem. Standing and shepherding his flock in the strength of the Lord. Bringing people into God's kingdom. Good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep so they can be brought back into the family of God. A king who establishes a reign and a rule of peace, of justice, of righteousness here on earth. Can you see how this picture builds through Micah? It's incredible, isn't it? In the midst of this judgment, God reveals his plan to bring people out of captivity, to restore them, to be in their midst. Chapter 4 talks about rescuing the lame and those who have been driven away and those who have been afflicted. brought back through the shepherd king, brought back through Jesus. Let me just highlight a couple of things here uh, in connection with, with, with seeking justice. Some of these might be quite obvious, maybe some less so. Firstly is this, the ultimate hope for our world is the good news of Jesus Christ. God's restoring work through the cross and the empty grave. There is no hope for our world apart from Jesus. That means that the seeking of justice and the loving of kindness can never be divorced from the gospel word. It can never be divorced from the, the, the good news of Jesus and what he has done. Justice is a part of the gospel picture 
of what God is doing in this world. Justice doesn't stand apart from the gospel. Justice isn't the gospel, but justice is a part of God's gospel message for this world. And any response of addressing injustice actually starts with God himself. He's the one who initiates rescue. He 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 initiates uh, responding to people's need. He responds to our rebellion from him and our abuse of each other. And he does something about it. And through his son, he continues to bring his kingdom of peace on this earth. Now, there are going to be times when we can partner with those who have a different perspective to us on this. And we'll talk about more about that next week. But there will be times when we can't. And times that there will be limited to what we can do with people who have a different perspective. Jesus even said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And so we want to see justice partnered with or alongside the good news or the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to pray for the, for the end of abuse, the end of power being used against the vulnerable and the weak. We want to work for the end of slavery and racism. But we want to see this happen as the good news of Jesus goes out and people come in. Second thing I want to just highlight here is that God's restoration is a restoration that involves forgiveness. Because at its core, people being restored to God as he forgives them and he wipes away their sin. And no one is right with God without his rescue. And that means that there is the possibility of forgiveness for even the perpetrators of injustice. I want to draw your attention to chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 here because I think there's something really important and worth noting it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. Who is God bringing back? He's bringing back the lame. He's bringing back those who have been driven away. And he's bringing back those whom he has afflicted. He's bringing back the abused. And he's bringing back the perpetrators of that abuse. Now, through some selective reading of the Bible, we can develop an unhealthy theology that God is for the poor, the oppressed and the marginalized. And he's close to people who are at the bottom of the rung. But he is against those who are rich 
He are against, is against those who perpetrate abuse. But the Bible actually makes something quite different clear. The poor are no more righteous than the rich. And the rich no more righteous than the poor. We often highlight that Jesus hung out with the down and outs, with, with the prostitutes and with the lepers, and he did that. But do you know who else Jesus hung out with? He hung out with tax collectors. Tax collectors were rich people who got rich from abusing others. You know they were I'd equate to today? Rich bankers who got rich by ripping off their customers. Insurance scammers who denied justice to the needy. And Jesus hung out with those people as well. And remember that rich guy who came to Jesus and who wouldn't give his money away to money to the poor? It says Jesus loved him. Now what's happened in our society as we talk about issues of social justice and, and social media has got a lot to do with perpetrating this, is that there is no middle ground where people can sit. Uh, you get forced onto either one side or the other. And so if you're not on my side fully, then you, you are the enemy. You're on the other side. And so my side gets, gets deified and the other side gets demonized. Now, I'll just pull out one example, a uh, recent example. Black Lives Matter. I'm not going to draw any, make no judgment on Black Lives Matter, not until next week uh, at least. But, but if you don't subscribe to, to Black Lives Matter, or if you in any way want to challenge the agenda, well, then you're racist, you're unjust, you're the enemy. And on a similar side, if you support Black Lives Matter, then you're violent, you're law-breaking, you don't care about the health and well-being of other people, you don't care about civil order. We polarise on these issues. Our side is good, the other side is evil. Who's, who's God bringing back? He's bringing back the lame, the downtrodden, but also those whom he afflicted, whom he cast away. They need rescue as well. They need to be brought to justice, for sure. People who perpetrate abuse need to be held accountable by the law. But there is forgiveness in Christ as well. When we approach these issues of social justice, we've got to be really careful of giving simplistic answers and polarizing people from one side or the other, from demonizing the opposition and deifying our position. The hope of Micah is broad and it is wide because the kingdom and God involve all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds made right with God and living in right relationships with each other. And that brings us then to chapter 6. God's call to us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with him. Starts in verse 4, where God reminds his people 
that he's brought them out of Egypt. He's the God who rescues them. And when he brings them out of captivity, it'll be a second exodus. He'll, he'll do it again. He'll bring them out of captivity again. Then verse 6 asks the question, what shall we come before him with then? How do we repay him? How do we approach the God who rescues us? And it asks the question, do we then offer up burnt offerings and calves, thousands of rams, a river of oil? And the answer to that one is meant to be no. It's not just what you do on the outside. That's not what God is looking for. Notice how the verse, second half of verse 7 goes. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And again, the answer is no. And it's no because someone has already done that. God has offered his firstborn his one and only son, for our sin, for our transgression. He has offered up himself for us so that we can go free. So how do we respond? Well, verse 8, he's showing you what he's required. Do justice. Out of those two words for justice that I talked about earlier, this is the former one of those it's mishpat. It's to act fairly. To refuse to participate in the injustice of others. To use your power for the good of others and not for the good of yourself. It's to be people who are shaped by the gospel. Who know that the king of heaven, the king of glory, of power, left it become one of us to save us and to be the same sort of person in return. Denying our power for our own good and using it for the good of others. He tells us to respond by loving kindness. Now, for those of us who are, who are familiar with the NIV, we, we remember it as, as mercy, but the Hebrew word behind it is is chesed, it's, it's everlasting love and faithfulness and goodness and kindness. It's what God has shown to his people. It's what God has shown to us in Christ. And now we are to love that, treasure that, and be a part of it, share it, display it, display his mercy and his kindness and his faithfulness as we display it to others. And we're finally, we're to walk humbly with our God. We're to do this in relationship with the God who has rescued us and saved us. Because our hearts can never be separated from the God who loves us. Our love and our concern for others has got to flow out of his love and concern for people. We're to be motivated by thankfulness for what he's done for us. It's got to be his kingdom that we seek, his reign and rule that we want to see extended. And we do so recognizing that it's only in his 
power, that anything good, that anything lasting, that anything of significance will ever happen. So we do justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with our God. Let me lead you in prayer. Lord God, we recognize that we face uh, many tricky questions when it comes to thinking about justice in our world. We have many different angles and many different opinions that crowd us. And it can sometimes be no, hard to know what we can do and how we can respond. But Lord, thank you for your reminder this morning that you are the God who is seeking peace. You are the God who is restoring people to yourself. You're the God who's responding to sin and rebellion and abuse with a reign and a rule that is good and right and just. And Lord God, we want to be a part of that. We want to know that for ourselves, to know that we as rebels can be saved and we want to see that for people around us in the world in which we live. Lord God, help us as we seek to do justice and to love kindness. Help us as we walk humbly with you for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.